Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Yes, you can hear me. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Um, so my name is Emmy, as Sai has introduced me. Um, I have been coming to Christchurch now for about six years, um, and I'm very much a passionate member. Um, and as of next week, I am the new youth worker, um, and I'm very, genuinely very excited about it. Watch out, teenage, you don't know what's coming. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and yeah, um, as of September, we're going to be able to start um, having teas and coffees and mingling after the service. So please do come and find me um, and come say hi. I'd love to meet you, especially anyone who's new who I haven't met yet. Um, so for the last four weeks, we have been looking at um, Abraham, the father of faith. Um, and we've had some fantastic preachers. Um, we've been looking sort of through Abraham's faithfulness and his failings um, and his relationship with the Lord. All of which, when brought together, we can really understand why he was known as the father of faith. And this morning, I'm going to be finishing up the series, um, looking at Genesis chapter 21 and 22, um, and looking at the sort of continuing tensions uh, between Abraham and Sarah, um, and Ishmael and Hagar, um, and as they kind of finally come to head, and then finally the um, story of Abraham's biggest calling to faithfulness yet. Uh, up to this point, we've been introduced, we've been walked through, we've been spoken through some of the most pivotal years of Abraham's life, from the moment that he left his hometown, um, through relational disputes, divine encounters, the birth of the son, the changes of names. Um, we're not going to cover it today, but in chapter 19, we see Abraham's rescue mission um, to save his nephew Lot from the city of Sodom. And we see sort of human depravity probably at its worst. Um, and then in chapter 20, we see Abraham and his family settle down in the territory of Gerar. And this is where we come to chapter 21. Um, and that is the birth of Isaac. The time has finally come, uh, the moment that Sarah had laughed off as pretty much impossible, the moment that Abraham had shrugged off as improbable, the moment that the Lord had been promising throughout, um, from the moment that Abraham left his hometown, throughout Abraham's doubts and human failings, the moment had come finally that proof of God's fulfillment of his promises, the birth of his son Isaac. And we see it in the first few verses of chapter 21 here. So if you could read with me in chapter 21 of Genesis. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah, spoke and, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as Ab and God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son was Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So in these verses, you really feel the sense of just overwhelming joy at this moment in time. Um, Isaac had finally come. I've got a lot of friends who um, have got pregnant and had babies, and it's always really exciting, especially if um, it's been quite a long time waiting, that wonderful moment when you get to hold the baby for the first time. Um, you see the parents just overwhelming joy at the sense that they've you know, got this baby. I mean, you can really feel that in these verses. You can imagine the excitement, the laughter, the joy that would have come, the relief after a long wait of 25 years, the celebrations, the chatter. But what I want us to focus on is not necessarily 
on what just had happened, but how and why it had happened. How had Sarah bore a child at her age, and why was this child and this birth so significant in this time? The baseline of it is that God had fulfilled his promise. So we've seen for the last four weeks about how God had been putting these promises out, but God had fulfilled his promise of a son, and this promise had been spoken about over and over and over again. I'll just whistle-stop tall. We remember in chapter 12 when Tom brought us the words about how Abraham was instructed to leave, and, and through that, Abraham would be um, the leader of a great nation, and that a great nation would come. At the end of chapter 13, we see God promise Abraham a great expanse of land that he would be given for his offspring, and that his offspring would be as many as there are dust particles on the earth. <clears throat> chapter 15, we see God reassure and encourage Abraham as he calls out in frustration with the promise of a son, and that his offspring from the son would be as many as there are stars in the sky. And even though they would be persecuted, they would flourish in this land that they're being given. And last week, we finally saw in chapter 17 and 18, when Joel brought the words, that God again, God again promises that Abraham would be exceedingly fruitful and that he would be the father of a multitude of nations and that through Sarah, God would promise a son that would bring kings of people and that from that moment in time, in a year's time, Sarah would be bore a child. And that time had come. God had been faithful to his promise, not because Abraham was deserving or because he was perfect or that he'd been even obedient. It was because God was faithful to his word. The child was called Isaac, which means he laughs. Probably originally was meant as a rebuke because as you can probably remember, Abraham and Sarah both laughed it off um, when God came to them um, and said that they would bore a child at their age, um, showing their kind of lack of faith. Um, but actually, he turns this into a moment of celebration. Um, and we can see here that this baby that's brought so much joy is living proof of that. <clears throat> However, in chapter 21, as we come to the end, um, you will see that not everyone is actually pleased of the arrival of Isaac. Um, you remember Ishmael, um, Hagar's son, um, the one that Abraham um, bore through Ishmael. Um, he would have been about, probably about 13 or 14 around now. Um, and so there was a lot of conflict between Ishmael and Hagar and Sarah and Abraham in particular. Um, and so when Isaac was born, that tension was going to become even more inevitable. Um, and we see it comes ahead in verses 8 to 11. And the child, being Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, being Ishmael, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. So we actually see here that the conflict and the scoffing and the laughter actually came from Ishmael himself, who would have been about 13 or 14. He was the one that was laughing at Isaac. And in those times, it would have been seen as highly disrespectful for the son of a slave woman to be laughing and mocking the son of the master of the house. And though it seems like a petty reaction for Sarah to ask for this woman to leave, she, as the Abraham's wife and the lady of the house, would have had every right to have been massively displeased with this reaction. But what we want to look into more here is not just what happened and see it. It's not just a kind of dispute over dinner, per se. 
Paul, who's in the New Testament, we learn about Paul in the New Testament, um, uses this particular, hundreds of years later, uses this particular incident as a teaching point in his letter when he writes a letter to the Galatians. Um, he uses this teaching point um, about the differences between being a slave to the flesh and being free in Christ. He uses Hagar and Ishmael as examples of the results of relying on the flesh. And he uses Sarah and Isaac as examples of trusting God alone to be fully free. He explains that those back then, merely years after Jesus had died on the cross, those people that were still, even after what Jesus did on the cross, were turning back to the law of Moses as a job description on how to earn God's blessing. They were still relying on their own strength and their own way of winning merit to get God's blessing. They were still trying to basically outdo each other um, and try to be good enough to go to heaven. Just like Abraham and Sarah had done, they had taken things into their own hands and they had tried to create the son their own way, not trusting in God fully and not putting their faith in God to fulfill his promises. Just as Sarah had done, they, they showed weaknesses in their faith um, and they devised their own plan to try and bring this promise about. So when Paul says that Ishmael was the son according to the flesh, what he's pointing out as an example is that he was the product of self-reliance. He was the product of Abraham and Sarah failing to trust that God would fulfill his promises. They were like, nope, I can't wait any longer. This is ridiculous. We're taking it into our own hands. And Ishmael was a product of this. So when Isaac was born, through God's power alone, by no means an effort on Sarah or Abraham's part, God fulfilled his promise that left no room for human boasting. No room at all. So when Isaac was born, his birth was not according to the flesh, but because of God's power and nature. And as Paul puts it in Galatians 4, verse 23, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, but the son of a free woman was born through promise. So we see now coming back to Genesis chapter 21, back to Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac, we see how significant it is in seeing God in his perfect nature and that he always fulfills his promise. Even when we try to intercede, even when we try to mold it to work our own way, even when we try to lean on our own efforts, that God loves his people and celebrates when we trust in him. Now, anyone who knows me, I'm a planner. My mum is here today and she'll, um, you know, agree with that. She says trying to book in time with me is like booking a doctor's appointment. Um, it's just really, really hard because I have my diary in a very particular way. I'm a massive planner. There is nothing wrong for those who are out there who are like me. Nothing wrong with being organised. Nothing wrong with being structured in the way you do things. But for me, it sometimes spills over to me trying to take control of my life because I don't agree with what God's doing in it. I, 10 years ago, had a very particular idea of what I was going to be doing at this point in my life, and it hasn't turned out like that way. Um, and I sometimes get annoyed and frustrated because I'm like, well, you know, everyone around me seems to be doing really well or seems to be doing what I wanted to do. God, what's, what's occurring? What's going on? Um, and actually, what I've been challenged by many people um, and I've been encouraged to do is to remember that just because my life hasn't turned out how I wanted it doesn't mean that God has messed up. God had a plan for the moment I was born where I was going to end up. And especially in the last five years of my life, I've really seen that come into play. Uh, when I look about how my paths have um, come about and the people that I've met 
um, and the um, opportunities and experiences that have come my way, I, can't, I sometimes can't fathom how it would have been any other way because I've been extremely blessed in what's happened. And what I encourage you to remember is that sometimes it doesn't feel like God's actually fulfilling his promises or um, taking you in a certain direction. But you just have to trust that in that moment that God is, you're exactly where God wanted you to be. Even when you're standing in the middle of Sainsbury's or you're despairing at your children or um, your job is driving you up the wall or you're in a financial crisis, you have to remember that God loves you. And he has you in the right moment. You've just got to trust in him to fulfill his promises that he speaks over you. So I ask you, are you trusting in the flesh and taking matters into your own hands um, and not fully trusting God to do his work? Or are we free in him and free in the knowledge of what God did on the, um, Jesus did on that cross? It means that nothing that we do or nothing that we try will win merit, will bring us back to God. But it's because of his grace and because of his mercy and because of what Christ did on that cross. That is how we can come to Jesus. And it says in Colossians, where Christ, we should seek the things that are above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For we have died and our lives are hidden in Christ who is with God. So I've got a game, and I do have one volunteer because I just pre-warn you, the, the child that I'm going to ask is going to be eating a lot of chocolate. So parents, be warned, there might be a sugar high. So I've got, where's Chris? Because Chris isn't getting out of this. I've asked Chris to do this. Chris, you're coming up. And then can I have a younger person to come up? Enough, you can come up. This is going to be fun. Right, could you drag that table here for me? Right, enough, you stand there. Perfect. Right? You stand there. That's fine. I hid the chocolate because I knew what kids are like. They would find it. And... I, love it. I know. Right. So the challenge is that you basically have to eat as much of the chocolate as you can in a minute. Okay. However, Chris, you all need to put this over your eyes. If you could do that for me. Thank you. You got to tell my hands behind my back. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Right. I couldn't find a better bell blindfold, sorry. Right, enough. Remember, don't vomit or anything like that because I would feel really bad and I think your parents would be really cross with me. So let's try now. Is that right? Okay, Chris, are you ready? I can't tie a blindfold. I don't think I'll be able to eat chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Ready? Right, put your hands in front of you. Nope, nope, absolutely not. So, the challenge is, basically, there we go. That's a lot of loops. Yep, I know. It'll be fun. Right, so I'll give you the knife and fork. I'll give you a bit of a head start. Okay, so you have to use that. You're not allowed to use your hands. Okay, so the challenge is, in a minute, you have to try and eat as much chocolate as you can, within reason. No vomiting is allowed, and no sugar highs are allowed. Okay, I feel like I've chosen the wrong person to do this, but it's fine. Okay, right, and I want to hear everyone cheering them on because otherwise we get the awkward silence, and I don't like awkward silences. Okay, so three, two, one, go. <laughs> Come on, Nuff, you've got to win this, otherwise the point goes out the window. <laughs> I haven't actually timed this. Okay, you've got about 45 seconds left. 
I chose Aero because it's light and fluffy. I feel like it's not as heavy as Galaxy, but... <laughs> I'm so sorry, Erica and Dave, by the way, because so much... Right, you've got 30 seconds left. Chris, you look great, by the way. You don't look like an idiot at all. You look, you look fantastic. <laughs> okay, 15 seconds left. You've absolutely destroyed chocolate. I can't even... Okay, right, everyone count down with me. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Well done. Okay, uh, you can take the chocolate with you. That's fine. Okay. So, there was a point behind that. I wasn't just doing that for entertainment reasons. Um, so, I'm, well, I'm pretty sure that Nuff won. I mean, Chris kind of smashed it up, so it was kind of held hard-to-tell ratio-wise. But I'm going to say Nuff won to prove my point, okay? So, um, God doesn't want us to have a backup solution, a plan B, when things aren't going our way, and we start to worry that life isn't going how we intended. God doesn't want us to rely on our own strengths and our own efforts to carry out his plans. Because what happens is that we get tied up we become blind to what God wants for us. We become unable to fully follow what God wants for us because we are so wrapped up in our own kind of efforts to get things done. We end up getting bound up in the fleshly and the worldly concerns of being controlled in our path. God wants us to trust him before anything else. So later on in the end of chapter 21, when um, Abraham actually does go to um, God and seek his advice on what Sarah had demanded, and God does indeed send um, Ishmael and Hagar away. It might have seemed harsh, but that was part of God's plan. Flesh and blood are not what we are, should be relying on and should not be our strongest bond because God wants us to honour him above anything else. And there can be no reconciliation with flesh. All of what God had promised to Abraham would start with Isaac, not Ishmael. Not Ishmael, who was born from human weakness and a lack of trust in God. Though God does preserve Hagar and Ishmael, you do see that in chapter 21, it is made clear that Abraham's future promises that had been laid out would bear through through Isaac and his offspring. And that's when we come to chapter 22. I'm going to actually read this out because there's so much packed in here and I, I don't think I'm going to cover it all, so I just want to read the whole out. So if you could open up chapter 22 of Genesis for me. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, so yours might be a bit different. The sacrifice is Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and, said, and, laid it, and laid it on his Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went with them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son, he said. 
Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide, God, sorry, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both went of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him in the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes, looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. And it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I shall surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and they went together to Bathsheba. And Abraham lived in Bathsheba, and I'll fish it there. So <laughs> this event in particular is quite a stumbling block, or it can be a stumbling block for a lot of people, Christians or not. Um, it's a very heavy image, um, and on the face of it, it seems to go against a lot of what we're taught um, in preaches and in Bible studies and in Bible verses that we remember growing up. How can an all-loving and all-knowing God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son and the son that God himself had promised for so long? But I actually encourage you to come with me and to not shy away from this verse, but actually to lean in it. This chapter shouldn't be a faith obstacle, but actually it should be an almighty boost. Reading the first verse, we really see that Abraham um, was uh, tested by God. And his test was not so much to produce faith, but actually it was to reveal faith. The man that God had been building up year by year, slowly over time, was about to have his faith revealed. And we see such a wonderful example of Abraham's readiness to go. I love the image that Joel brought um, last week about Abraham, a 99-year-old man running from the tent to go and meet the Lord. Um, and you see it here again. You see Abraham without hesitation. He says he jumps up when God calls his name saying, here I am. And you see it actually throughout most of the chapter. He just keeps saying, here I am. I'm here. I'm ready. And we see that. And he is ready and waiting for God's instructions. And the instructions to follow would not have been easy. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, offer him up there as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering. Like I said, a bit of a stumbling block potentially. It seems to go against everything that God had been promising Abraham from the start. He would be the father of great nations, more than there are stars in the sky and dust particles on the earth, that his offspring will produce kings and leaders through Isaac, who had been promised for so long, who was about to be sacrificed. How would this come about? But Abraham rose in the morning. He got up. He saddled up his donkey. He took two of his servants. He took the wood for the burnt offering and his son Isaac, and he headed off. Abraham wasn't leaving empty-handed. 
he wasn't going to turn up to spot and kind of go, oh, no, I haven't got everything. I'm really sorry. We're going to have to do this another day. Like, he took everything he needed with him. He wasn't leaving empty-handed. He confidently set off to do this task, prepared and trusting God, his promiser. God had a place in mind, uh, a mountain in the land of Moriah, which is a few days northeast walk from where they were at the time, um, just outside the area of Jerusalem. And on the third day, God revealed his location to Abraham. Abraham then told his servants to wait there for their return, and he took his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved, and who was the source of all current and future blessings, and got him to carry the wood that would be laid on the spot where he would be sacrificed on a hill near Jerusalem. This is how God saw the future of the coming nations, a beloved son offered on a mountain. When Isaac himself questions the whereabouts of the lamb of the offering, Abraham turns to him and replies that God himself will provide a lamb. Abraham's faith really shines through here, not just by his actions, but also by his words. He knew that God would produce a sacrifice. He knew that there would be a substitution. He knew that Isaac was the promised son and would make it through this somehow. Abraham had a resurrection-shaped faith. We actually see it mentioned again in the New Testament in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of who it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered God was even able to raise him up from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. At the last second, we see that God intercedes. He steps in. He provides an alternative, a substitution, a sacrificial ram. And the Lord provided a sacrifice instead of Isaac. So the whole event concludes with Abraham saying in verse 14, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. A ram was provided that day, which means the lamb that Abraham spoke of was yet to come. We see this in the future tense. God will provide this future, this spot in the future site of the temple where it would be built and God's people would offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice for God's continual provision. But one day in the future, God would provide on a mountain the ultimate atoning sacrifice. And this time it would be God's only beloved son, the hope of the world, Jesus Christ, who would willingly carry his own wood up the hill to where he would be sacrificed, on a hill just outside of Jerusalem. Except for this time, God wouldn't intercede, but lay all the sin of the world on his only son. Jesus' death ended any need for a repetitive sacrificial system. Jesus was the sacrifice, the lamb that was promised and provided. For years leading up to that point, um, the Israelites would point at the hip point on the hill and say, that is where the Lord is going to provide a son was spared, but the promised land, promised lamb, sorry, would follow Isaac up that hill, and this time the son would not be spared. So as we come to a close, I just want to say that Abraham trusted and believed the promiser, not just the promises. Abraham knew that on that day, God would provide and continue to do so. He even said to his servants, we'll be back soon. He knew one way or another that both him and Isaac would return Abraham, as we've seen in the last five weeks, has made plenty of mistakes. 
one way or another. He's not fully lent on God. Um, he's trusted his own um, self-worth to get things done. And we, um, he, he kind of decided how he was going to do it and ignored God. But here, in this particular moment, we see the father of faith not only show that he trusted God, but that he knew God. What I want to challenge you with today is this. Are you living your life according to the flesh? Are you the Hagar and Ishmaels of the world, the production and the results of falling to the fleshly desires and weaknesses in your faith because you become impatient with what God's doing in your life? Or are you living your life according to the promise of freedom in Christ and the all he gave on the cross? Are we believing in God's faithful nature and living it out boldly in our day-to-day life? We as Christians must trust God's promises and free ourselves from the enemy's delusions about doubt and self-reliance and put everything at Jesus' feet and bank all we have on him because we can 100% trust the integrity of God's word. If I could get the uh, worship team up. The confidence that God had, I'm sorry, the confidence that Abraham had in God's promise was carved out as a beautiful witness for us now. And so I encourage you as you go away, in your thankfulness and with the image of the cross in your minds, we must ask ourselves, are we anchored in our faith like Abraham was, the father of faith? And for any of you out there who um, haven't heard this story before or uh, don't know Jesus, um, I genuinely would love um, to come pray with you. Um, So come find me after service or come find any of the leaders of the church because we would love to introduce you to this man called Jesus who changed everything. Um, And what I'm going to do now is I'm just actually going to pray for all of us. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just give thanks for what you did on that cross. We thank you for your only beloved son and how you sacrificed him up for us, each and every one of us an individual, that you love us so much. And we just pray that we will be like Abraham in our faith, Lord, that we won't try and rely um, or stumble or try and win merit, but we remember, Lord, that you are a God who promises, and not just that, but you fulfill your promises, that you love us and you want the best for us. And I just pray that as we go forward in this week, that if we feel exasperated or frustrated with the way things are going, that we remember that you will fulfill your promises and that you gave your only son for us so that we can live freely in that fact. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.